From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 39 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Hello, Craig, and Happy New Year! Yes, Happy New Year. Starting off strong. <laughs> we are. We're, st- st- we're starting off with a very different episode. Yeah, different um, than uh, more different than anything we've ever done before, which is always always exciting. Every time we go down a new road with this show, and uh, yeah, we're going down lots of new uh, roads this year. So we are, and and the first new road you're going to really notice is that we're not going to really be bantering about our, our Christmas holidays because we're going to be very transparent. We we were going to take you backstage yeah. on this show. We we're recording well before the Christmas holidays <laughs> for this show because uh, just because we're traveling and you know we all want to take some time off to be with our families, but we want to make sure you have a show to start off the new year. So we are recording this prior. To, it's actually the first night of Hanukkah. Yes, yes. And so, so we hope um, all of you who celebrate Hanukkah had a wonderful, um, festive, joyous celebration. And all of you who celebrate Christmas and, and all the other holidays in the season had wonderful celebrations with those you love the most. So, Couldn't anyway. say it better myself. Yeah. So, and then we'll probably share more about our actual holidays um, next week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because it it will be actually January 2018 by then. Because people are probably wondering, something's probably happened. And they say, how can Craig and Michael not be talking about it? You know, like aliens finally landed in the middle of Orlando or, or, you know, something. And how can they be so calm? (laughs) You know, it's... just hasn't happened yet in an ideal world we would have time to record every show seconds before it gets released but this is not an ideal world (laughs) no it is not it is not but craig and i thought it would be fun to start the new year by letting you our friends and listeners actually be a part of the show by submitting questions for us to answer so way back on december 1st craig posted a message on the facebook page for the Diz soliciting questions and craig we got a pretty good response we got a, a lot of questions yes we got a lot of suggestions for episodes. Uh, we, we, we got a few that were sort of like a trip down memory lane, and we will comment on those. <laughs> and um, so Craig and I are going to share just a few of those with you today. This will We're hoping this is going to be the first of several Q&A episodes, because even after, even like 20 minutes before we started recording the show, uh, I know I was having people contact me through social media asking if they could submit questions. And so I think we're going to, um, 
I, I'm hoping that there will be enough questions throughout the year yeah. that we can um, do this a few times and sort of make you all a part of the show. Yeah, way. absolutely. And the important part is just uh, send us your questions. So we don't have an email right now specifically set up for this show itself. But, of course, you can always contact us, uh, Michael at WDWinfo.com, Craig at WDWinfo.com, and uh, we'll be able to get the questions that way. And then periodically, we'll definitely post on social media, get threads started where you can post questions if maybe you think they slipped through the the cracks before or it, we answer something in this show that you feel like we didn't uh, give enough love to and we need to, to dedicate a little bit more mm-hmm. time going into our answers on. So uh, just there are lots of ways to get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you posted your question after um, we went through all of them in a December post comments yeah. Um, to that message, uh, because I think I, I I went through it as of today and grabbed the last few that I hadn't already grabbed. So I may not grab late ones. So, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you might have to resend those to us. But anyway, so, Craig, do you want uh, why don't you choose the first question? OK, I am going to choose kind of an easy one, but a hard one. And this first one comes from uh, Julian. And she said, if you were to advise a new Disney fan, what is the order you should visit? Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Family Museum, Disney Cruise Line, and Alani. And what? so what the order would be for all of those. I should have asked that as a question. And which one would we skip if we couldn't do them all? So Good question. I'll, I'll let you answer first since I asked. Well, oh. technically, Julianne asked the question, but mm-hmm. I asked it. So, <laughs> Okay. I You know, I really had to – it's the last part of this that I, I, it really gave me pause. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm very <laughs> – I'm, I'm very orderly in my thinking. I guess that's why I'm the historian for the show. I, I would recommend going in chronological order, which – doesn't totally work here. Um, but I would say go to the Walt Disney Family Museum first to get the background on the man that started it all. And then I would then go to Disneyland, the first park. Um, then Walt Disney World, you know, start out with Roy's Park, as I call it, the Magic Kingdom, and all of that. Then this is where it becomes a little tricky. Uh, you know, do you do you want to go on a cruise or do you want to go to Hawaii? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I love the Disney Cruise Line. So, but I love Alani. So, um, I might go on. You know, again, the Disney Cruise Line came first. <laughs> so I might go on a Disney Cruise Line only because if you're already in Walt Disney World, you might yeah. as well hop on board one of the ships because you really have to go to Castaway Key. I think to really get the full Disney experience of the cruise line. Yeah. And then Alani. So why don't we take that one first? So Craig, what about you? Okay. My order is, uh, it's going to be a little bit skewed because I still have yet to visit the Walt Disney family museum, but I've read enough about it. I've seen so many posts. I've heard so many stories from you that I feel like I have a good grip on it so uh, my order in terms of where you should visit 
I would say for me, it would be start at Walt Disney World because it is just it's so different from everything else with how giant the property is the four parks just there's so much to take in i feel like seeing that right away just it's really mind-blowing and then from there even though it came first and it's clearly better then i would go to disneyland because i feel like i feel like either way you took those two you could still have an appreciation for it but i feel like you come to appreciate so much more about Disneyland after experiencing Walt Disney World and seeing what it's like when it's so spread out and and honestly just way too big. Yeah, there's there's some negatives about Disneyland considering you walk two blocks away from property and yeah start feeling like am i truly safe is anaheim really a good place (laughs) but i mean in terms of the convenience of getting around uh some dark rides that are far superior the feeling of actually being not to sound cheesy in this but connected to walt with with that Mm -hmm. park i i feel like that's I feel like Walt Disney World can give you the itch as a non-Disney fan or a new Disney fan, and then Disneyland pulls you in completely and sets you on to the next level. From there, I would say, if I could go back to, like, young Craig when I was trying to get uh, more and more Disney in my life, I would have said Walt Disney Family Museum next. After getting familiar with the parks, go learn about more of the history behind them and add in that uh that aspect to it and then again if if it's a new disney fan i partly think you know sometimes adults come to find disney as they're as they get older i think more or less though you have it with kids learning through their parents so i would say cruise line next as i feel like that's between that and alani cruise line's definitely more family friendly overall and then i would end off with alani as Mm -hmm. my my final one so now i would toss in one other place to go and craig you and i have done this together become a d23 member and take the tour of the studio as well and um go to see where you know go to see walt's studio go to walt's office yeah. That's as connected to Walt as we can get, uh, besides going to his apartment above the firehouse on um, in Town Square of Disneyland. And uh, But just, it's, well, you're our, our movie expert, Craig, but I mean, so what was it like seeing where all those films were made oh, you know, for you? I mean, for me, the thing was, before the first time that I went out there and I was able to go on that lot, when I was, it was, I was sitting in a room with Pete, and I, I don't even remember who else was there at this point. But I wasn't even invited to go on the backstage magic trip where you're able to go on the lot at that point, and just hearing them talk about, oh, we're gonna go, we're gonna go, and we're gonna get to be on the Disney lot. And I was like, oh my gosh, she did even stuff like uh, the Reluctant Dragon, getting to see mm-hmm. the Disney lot at that time, and and knowing like you guys are going to be walking around there. I'm like, gosh, that's, that is so cool. I can't wait till I can do that one day. And then finally getting to have that experience and see the sights from that, which is a must watch for Disney fans. But then 
you know, once you start going down the wormhole and once you get to the studio and finding out like, okay, well, that's the, that is the actual soundstage where 20,000 leagues under the sea was filmed. And, uh, you know, fast forwarding, then getting to, to something now, like the last time when you and I were on the tour and going past some of the locations that they used when they filmed saving Mr. Banks on Mm -hmm. property, it's just, there's there's so much there uh and yeah. it, it doesn't matter what era of disney movies you're really a fan of unless it's like hyperion studios and before if you if you've liked anything since this studio was built you will find some appreciation in getting to visit it of course the hyperion bungalow is still there and that is from the uh hyperion studio yeah and i so, forgot about that too it's the first yeah, thing you yeah. see on any tour so uh-huh. exactly that's where you meet yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so um okay now out of all of these which one would you skip if you couldn't do them all oh that's a tough one it's uh, a difficult one it's very difficult i would have to say be I would choose and oh man even though I love it I love it so much I would actually probably say uh, drop cruise line because really yeah and that's I mean that's one of my favorite things to do I don't like cruising but I love Disney Cruise Line I think it's just fantastic and magical and it is such a different vacation but the depth of Alani is just something else. Um, it's it really is hard to describe it until you're there and seeing it. Whereas, whereas Disney Cruise Line, it just ups the whole Disney Cruise Line ups the whole level of experience between you know a, a everyday average cruise line like Royal Caribbean. Throw on Disney Magic in it and a couple extra added benefits and you get Disney Cruise Line. With Alani, I honestly can't think of another hotel that gives you the detailed, authentic experience that that, that does. On top of that, mm-hmm. having the awesome beach out into the Pacific Ocean and just everything about it. Only been once, but it, it's one of the things that I've done Disney-wise that has left the biggest lasting impression on me. So uh, while while I love Cruise, I if I had to leave, if I was only, if I had to drop one that I knew I could never do again, I would never want to say that I couldn't go back to Alani. So... Gosh, I you know I this was tough for me, and I I like your order of of places to visit. I, I also I see the the um, I, I I appreciate how you chose that, and also I, I you know what I think I would drop Alani as much as I love it, because Carol and I love cruising so much. We love the Disney cruise lines, and you can go to so many different places. Yeah, and uh, and have that Disney experience over and over again on so many different ships and each one is different yeah it, it has it's, it's unique so that, that was a good question julianne thank you it really was so okay let's see for me um oh let's see um well okay i'm gonna go with one that i think um since since we're I'm going to go back in time a little here. Bazina, um, 
throw out a question here. I would love I would love to hear about how about how and where you kept up with the Disney Parks history between the years after Walt on TV until the advent of all the parks and DVDs we enjoy today. For those who didn't live in California, growing up seeing Walt on The Wonderful World of Color in the 60s, you would see all the classic park episodes. Um, For me personally, this is Bazina. In the 70s, there were some books in the library, like The Art of Walt Disney, from Mickey Mouse to the Magic Kingdom. I have that book. In the 80s, you had the Disney Channel and the companion Disney Channel magazine that often had short park segments. In the 90s, you had the charming sing-along song videos like Disneyland Fun. Uh, how about you? So, Craig, how about you? Uh, and how did you keep up with Disney yeah, when that's... you weren't at Disney when you were I would say, younger? I, yeah, the the first thing I probably did. I mean, going when I was five years old, it's... I don't think it probably connected until it might have connected that trip, maybe the one after. But I remember when we got one of the souvenir guides to Walt Disney World. And that was kind of like the first way to relive the trip that you just had. And and then also on top of that, start to get some more details about the stuff that you just didn't saw. And uh, and that yeah that was big like i that's why anytime i still see a a book that's a souvenir guide or anything like that i try to i try to pick it up immediately Mm -hmm. i that's it's been a fix Um, one of the big ones for me being a kid of the 90s born in the 80s but then growing up in the 90s is bozina mentioned the disneyland fun sing-along that was worn out over and over and over again and i actually still watch it on youtube a lot anytime uh and to get my fix on that along with uh, uh one of the best specials that was ever on the uh, wonderful world of disney the the muppets go to walt disney world that was <laughs> that was even though it defied all logic of how you could go from star tours to big thunder mountain uh just with a few footsteps i still just ate up everything on it uh the and that was just getting my kind of my taste for not being able to be around the parks uh while i was still young and then uh when i really got into vault disney that's when the history aspect started Mm -hmm. and uh getting to stay up late and watch the disney channel and wait for that vault disney logo to open up in the little roller coaster thing whatever it was taking you into the vault and being able to see stuff like the mickey mouse club and and zorro and disneyland specials and uh like i still one of the ones that sticks out the most i can remember watching the the one disneyland uh episode where that was hosted by uh kurt russell in the osmonds and that oh, was yes and and the blonde lady yeah the blonde singer <laughs> yeah and like that one just always stuck out for me because mm-hmm. that was one that uh that my dad said like oh well i saw this when i was growing up and now i was watching it too and so that's like little things like that got me peaked even more of what else is there out there that i was missing and it, then at that point uh once i hit it, about you know late 90s i was I was on the internet and digging into all the the websites out there, and from there it just became simple to, <laughs> to get 
connected back into everything. So that's that's kind of how my progression went. But what about yours? Well, for me, it was it was easier to stay in touch because Walt was still on television yeah. <laughs> when I was growing up. So we he came into our our homes every week. Of course, the films were. Uh, you know, it's coming out the animated films plus the classics were on seven year the re release cycle. So there was always a Disney film around. Um, you know, in the summer, a lot of movie theaters had sort of film, um, I don't know, special film programs where once a week they would have children's family films. They were always Disney films. And so we'd go to that. Um, then, of course, for a time I worked for Disney. So that really, I really have, was connected. And then um, for the Tencennial, what what after I was done because my my time at Disney was was during that was around the time of that celebration. Um, I kept the insert that was in the San Francisco Examiner, uh, and it was this full-color, multi-page um, insert on the Tencennial. I still have it, and it, it, it's uh, yeah, it's selling in the Van Eaton Galleries. Their latest auction for like they're suggesting one hundred or two hundred dollars or something for it. Mine would not go for that much because it looks like a, a child has had it. I don't but, agree um, with the prices on all of their stuff. Anyways. No, I don't either. But um, but anyway, so I had that, and then what also got me through it, and I was going up with I I loved Viewmaster reels. I forgot about and those. Th yeah. There were a ton of Disneyland Viewmaster reels, as well as they would release Viewmaster reels for their films. And including their, they'd go back to their classic ones like you know Sleeping Beauty, and Snow White and things like that. And um, so I had those that I was always looking at. Yeah, I want to say I had a Peter and, Pan one for sure, and then some of the Disneyland ones, but not a full, <clears throat> not a full collection. Oh, I they were all my all. parents, so it was yeah. just what they collected. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then um, then I started to get into collecting when I was in college. I would go, they made, used to make these little porcelain figures that every, when, from the films. And I started to collect Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And then that launched me in my um, collecting. So that's that's sort of what got me going. And then, of course, when um, the Disney Channel came out, it was subscription only. And so yeah, they had uh, they had you know Mousterpiece Theater. They had they had something I wish they could bring back, but they cannot. Um, is uh, the Walt Disney Family album that had oh my gosh, every week they would do basically a little documentary on one person. Um, it would like it would be on Ward Kimball. It would be on the Sherman Brothers. It would be on, uh, you know, Buddy Ebsen. I, it was wonderful. But unfortunately now, due to having to deal with estates, um, yeah. they, well, they'll never see the light of day. Yeah. Um, but some of them are on YouTube. I'll have so to go how find they those. got on there, yeah. I don't know. But um, So that's how it was. And then, you know, then I started to be able to afford to go to the parks a little more regularly. And then, of course, the internet came along. Videotapes came along. Yeah. So you could have Disney all over the place. So, so that's how I did it. Huh. 
<laughs> okay, are you ready for another question? I am. Okay, a lot to choose from in our first category. I'm going to go with another open-ended one. This one comes from Sarah, and she asks, Which modern Disney ride do you think Walt would be most pleased or impressed by? And then the follow-up question is, Which do you think he would want to reimagine to make better? So... I probably put this in the wrong category, but <laughs> well, we're going with it right now. Okay, <laughs> um, already asked it. You know, yeah. Um, you know, I, I. It's really hard. I don't like to get. It's impossible to get into Walt's head for obvious reasons. Who knows? I know Walt. Though all I can speculate is Walt loved technology. He loved cutting edge. So I think he would. He would like the newer than new stuff. I, I think he would really like. Um, I would speculate, and I think he would like to. He would enjoy what they've done at Shanghai with Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, I think he would be fascinated with Mystic Manor at Hong Kong Disneyland. Um, I think I suspect he would be very pleased to see that the monorail was an actual transportation system. Yeah. At Walt Disney World. So, um, which do you think he would want to reimagine to make better? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> Walt was never happy with the status quo. Yeah, I, I agree with that answer. <laughs> uh, if I had to pick one thing that I think he would definitely, uh, the one that sticks out to me is uh, probably the Navi River journey. I think he would look at that and mm. just say, well, it looks pretty, but what's the story here? Because, well, that's kind of what I think when I go through it. So, oh, to reimagine? Uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. he would. He would want to put a, an actual good story into it because that's what's mm-hmm. missing from that. Uh, something I think he would. Uh, two things I think he would be very impressed by. Uh, definitely, Expedition Everest because mm-hmm. of you know uh, just what he loved about the Matterhorn taking it to the next level making it bigger and better i expedition everest is a perfect example of that and then uh one of my favorite rides of anywhere ever indiana jones adventure i think that's just that would probably blow him away that to, mm-hmm. to make a dark ride that interesting so, i agree yeah, I agree. Although he'd probably be upset that the Yeti's been broken for so long. Yeah, that, that would also be what he would want to reimagine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to. There's one. This isn't really a question. Well, it's a question, but this is going to be a quick answer. Um, going on the heels of Walt, um, Ryan asked, "Did Walt have an office at Walt Disney World? If so." Is it still there? Is it being used by someone else? Walt did not have an office in Walt Disney World because he passed away before Walt Disney World was built. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so the, so that was a quick answer for you there, Ryan. Well, I have another <laughs> quick answer one with that kind of uh, just in the same realm of just random questions. Jason asked, do you think there's any reasonable chance we'll ever get Song of the South, Black Cauldron, or Black Hole on Blu-ray, I can at least answer as of a week ago or so from when we're recording this, so still out there right now, Black Cauldron is now available to watch in high definition on Hulu. 
So if you subscribe to that, mm. you can see Black Cauldron in HD for the very first time. So that's that's a big deal. That means that it, I mean it was very close to being released at one point in time, and then it got taken out of all the coming soon artwork and all that. So the fact that the HD version is out there now, I would say it may appear just randomly sometime in like the Disney movie program that they that you can sign up for and be a part of uh, black hole had a dvd release so again i think kind of like black cauldron maybe one day if you're part of the disney movie club it might just randomly pop up and song of the south no it's no, uh, unfortunately done. so no i yeah i think in today's political climate no matter how much they get someone to put it in political in the correct context and explain it was not it was post-civil war and all that it just people aren't going to be able to get beyond and and, imagery of the film and honestly it's available to watch on youtube and if you've watched it before while i do enjoy the animated portions of it you're not missing much there's much better walt disney Uh, movies out there yeah i love it though i i I like it. I'm, I'm glad I got to see it its last time. I saw it several times in the theaters. I'm glad I got to see it its last time. Yeah, it's it's entertaining. It's not a masterpiece by any means, though. It's yeah, it's not one of Walt Disney's best. No, no, but it's worth seeing. And yeah. who knows? Maybe it'll end up quietly on Disney Movie Rewards someday. But I don't think there'll ever be a physical copy of it. Yeah, so. yeah I agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, oh, how about from? I'm trying to let's let's see here now. Um, how about from Michelle? What was it that first drew each of you into your deeper research or fascinations with the parks than an average fan? What would you say, Craig? Mine was. I don't. I think it was just kind of boredom of being a kid and being at the cusp of when the internet was starting to blow up bigger and bigger, and all this information was starting to make its way out there. And you know, I was. Uh, what else do you do when you're on summer break? <laughs> it's at that time. It was okay. Well, you go outside and you have fun with your friends, and you go see movies and spend time with family read watch tv and stuff and then once the internet got thrown in see what else i can find out there and uh, you know when disney's a part of the places that you're vacationing then it's one of those things you just naturally you go home and you know i do it anywhere i go once I, i go and visit somewhere i try to go back and i learn more about it for the next time I go or in case I can never go back again being able to appreciate what I saw more and it's not a great answer but that was basically it I just I was going to Disney as a child and hit the internet just right at the perfect time (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think for me it was I was just I was always captivated by everything Disney whether it was the films the, the park, the television show, I, I, just because of the way it transported you, um, 
everything just seems so magical, so creative. Uh, you know, the stories behind everything that I think when I was very young, I wanted to just learn more about, you know, how was the park built? Why was it built? Um, you know, how were these films made? Who made them? So I think that's what drew me in. And in those, of course, in those days, if it wasn't in the library, it was a little difficult to find. But then, you know, as um, fan-made bulletins and newsletters and all that started to come out, um, you know, with the Disneyana Fan Club uh, and all that, um, you know, that information started to come out, E-Ticket Magazine. And um, so that's how I got into it. But yeah, it was a really early age. I, I was just fascinated by by everything Disney. Yeah. So. Okay, well, I'm going to move. I already asked one question that was kind of uh, from Walt's opinion. So I'm going to choose another one. And this one comes from Bill. He asked us multiple questions from it, but I'm only going to do with the first two questions he asked in there. And that's, what do you think Walt would say if he could see what his company became and would he be happy with the demise of traditional animation for computer animation? Oh, okay. Yeah, this is in our "What Would Walt Say" category. <laughs> that we, we this, I grouped a whole bunch of questions in there. Um, I don't know. Well, you know, first of all, if you've listened to some of the interviews we've done with Bob Gurr and um, Roly Crump and uh, and uh, you know others they had no idea what Walt thought you know about anything so um, you know Floyd Norman said that I, and they worked closely with him so what would so I don't know what Walt would say if he could see what his company would become I don't think anybody knows um, yeah you know I, I think the fact that it's still around, exactly. he would be very, very happy. That was <laughs> the that exact was a worry answer, of yeah. his. Yeah, that was a worry of his that that once he was gone, that the company would not survive. Yeah, no, I, I think about like some of the old department stores <laughs> that were big back in the back in the day and started to dwindle out. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, and that are no longer around. While they might still have the name in their their family name, it, it's just not around anymore. So the fact that Disney is still around and clearly does not appear that it's going to go anywhere anytime soon, I think that's I think that's all he could be. Yeah. You know, just be proud that it's yeah. there. And and Walt did say in interviews in the latter part of his life that he did start to think about what will happen to Disney after Disney. So it, that was something on his mind. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he would be very happy that that it survived and flourished. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's still making entertainment for families that's of a higher quality than anyone else, and and at the same time, cutting a profit, keeping people fed. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't think he could complain for any more. Uh, and on the tail end of that, the would he be happy with the demise of traditional animation for computer animation? I think it comes into what you kind of said before in terms of attractions. I I think Walt 
would be all for computer animation and mm-hmm. trying to push the boundaries of what could be done in the realm of animation next. That's like it even happened with his lifetime, just starting out basic, experimenting through silly symphonies, uh, doing even more, constantly pushing uh, what needed to be done in order to make movies better, even if it was more budget friendly or if it was just trying to be more creative. He always went down that road. So uh, computer animation is just a whole new door that, I mean, how how do you even ask that question? Like, could you go back in time and ask Walt what he would think about one day computers being able to make movies and make full animated movies? I mean, at that time, computers were the size of a room and, you know, struggling to help people just to get to space, let alone being able to be used to make movies so uh it'd be very interesting yeah i think that as long as the stories were there because what was a story man by his own admission and as long as they um the the animation was able to convey the emotions and the story you know in a top quality way in an affordable way I th- I think he would embrace the technology, uh, and we saw he pushed at, he pushed um, drawing styles. You know, while you know Walt definitely you can see in the later um, animated films of Walt's time very different from the style of Snow White and Pinocchio. So Walt loved to experiment, and you can see that in the later shorts in the fifties and sixties. Walt wanted his artists to experiment with styles. And and so I think I think he would have been very fascinated by this. Yeah, like you said, he he did what he needed to do to get the story, the good stories told. And for him, back then, his choices were either hand drawn animation or uh, live action, and those were his options. And then he also translated that later into three dimensions with theme parks. So he was not. He was not stuck to just any one medium. It was whatever, whatever he could use to tell the story. So, yeah. yeah. And and then, well, Bill goes on. He has two more questions. Um, would he be proud of the parks? And do you think he could have made the original idea of Epcot work? Um, to the last question, I would say yes. And everybody who worked with him, Marty Squad, and everybody said yes. Would the original of idea of Epcot, would the Epcot he described shortly before, just weeks before his death, been the one that he built? We have no idea because Walt was always changing. Walt was all of his plans were constantly in motion as he came up with new ideas, new ways of doing things. If Walt hit, hit a roadblock, he found a new way. Um, so who knows what Epcot would have been? But um, I think he would have made it work. Yeah. Um, what do you think about would he be proud of the parks, Craig? Why not? <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's nothing to not be proud of. I think he would. Uh, I think at a certain ass point. Sorry, I don't know what I was saying there. I think certain aspects during certain points of walking through, uh, he would, he would have some criticisms. But this also is the person that is you know that you hear stories that he would stand outside the apartment on main street and 
watching to make sure that the trains were on time. So mm-hmm. uh, clearly, even in his day, not everything was perfect. But mm-hmm. it was all about striving to be better in an experiment to find what is new and thrilling out there. So, yeah, I think I think as long as the parks continued to change and adapt and be interesting while still bringing a draw for families, there's and that's what they're doing. So, why wouldn't he be proud? Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have been to all the parks except the. Disneyland Paris parks but all of them are stunning and all of them are unique and I think all of them stay true to Walt's philosophy and vision um, and I think he would be very proud of all of them so um, anyway so that's it so anyway um, do you want to just sort of stick with some of the what would Walt say category ones yeah, why don't we do uh, one or two more from here? So, okay. do you want to ask one or me? Let me see. Um, well, I'm going to ask a. a th- I'm. G- let me see here. Uh, do 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 do. Um, I'm one. I think we just answered, and that was one from Jennifer. Um, sort of. Well, you know what? No, I'll, okay, I'll take Jennifer's because we answered the first part. Um, Jennifer asks, have the movies or parks kept true to Walt Disney's vision as best they could in your opinion? I think that they have. Uh, you know, sometimes Walt did noise like sequels, so I think there was a period of time he maybe wouldn't have been too thrilled with that. I We just mentioned the parks definitely have what would he think of pixar or animal kingdom based on your knowledge i think we addressed pixar um issued i mean good storytelling um good animation yeah animal kingdom walt was a nature lover um he believed in conservation he started the uh you know the disney nature films um, he was a spokesperson for the um, National Conservation Fund for many years. He, uh, Lillian was upset because Walt wouldn't allow the gardener to, to kill the pests that were eating Lillian's flowers in the garden at their Homeby Hills home. So um, I think Walt, again, Animal Kingdom tells a wonderful story. It's beautifully detailed, and Walt loved animals, so I I think he would love Animal Kingdom. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, you know, the True Life Adventure series kind of ended up boiling down into Adventureland, and then you have Animal Kingdom, which is just even more bigger or grander than you could ever get in Adventureland, and on top of that, it's... Uh, you know, besides certain sections like Dino Land and and Pandora, now uh, it's it very much has a, a uh, just it's one with nature. I guess is the mm-hmm. easiest way to kind of put it. And I think Walt would be all about that. Pixar, the only thing I, while I think he would love Pixar and the stories they've created and uh, and just some of the characters they've brought to life, the only thing I would have to and I have to ask you about your knowledge on this but was he known for trying to to like kind of take over artists from other studios that's the only thing that would kind of get me do you think he would uh, in his time he would have ever went out to try to 
acquire a different animation studio or he would just be proud enough with what they were making to to keep it in house well at that time Walt was the animation studio (laughs) so I mean they were top other studios had animation departments yeah but there were no you you know the other animation studios were rather small yeah there was nothing and Walt didn't go after them yeah like uh, i mean i can't think off the top of my head just with my knowledge of any like more independent small studios the only thing i think of in that uh, you know 50s time frame is uh, you have disney and then you really have uh warner brothers and the looney tunes and that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of it yeah fleischer studios was around yeah but that was small i mean you saw studios like that yeah that were smaller studios but um no i think walt was very content you know it was a different climate in those days yeah a different just a different business model than today yeah where now for companies to grow they grow they grow through acquisition yeah and you know, if he saw that in that mindset, I think he'd be all for Pixar. But I, if anything, I don't know. I, I would say that maybe he would never even have the mindset of mm-hmm. let's take them over. Maybe let's just appreciate what they're doing and see where we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. So. Now, maybe it's a better question. Would Roy have said, hey, rather than investing in our own our own technology to develop computer animation. Let's take a look at Pixar over here. I, yeah, you've got something there. I, I think <laughs> I think that but, would fall in line. But who knows? Who knows? We don't. Not us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. okay. I'm not... I mean, me personally right now with where our conversation's going, I'm not seeing anything else from that category. It's okay. jumping off at me right now, so I'm going to move on to our next block of questions, okay. I believe, and these are, uh, if I'm reading it correctly, because my eyesight is starting to go right now, uh, it's been a very long day for me, but <laughs> uh, it is a uh, section called past episodes so these are where we received questions about things that we've already talked about but Mm -hmm. hopefully we can uh, redirect you into places uh, where we have discussed them before so uh, a good one (laughs) that's still relatively relatively recent with everything we talked about is from kevin brady and that's how about something on Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, uh, the creation, lost, and recovery of him, and what Walt would do in the parks with Oswald? Well, <laughs> we 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 interviewed David Bossert, who um, wrote a book on um, the history of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and that's part of our Disney film series that Craig and I are doing. We're up to Mickey Mouse now, <laughs> and um, so it was excellent series it's a fantastic book so you uh, episode, excellent episode and, and a great book so you might want to go back yeah into the connecting with walt archives and that. to help you out with that one you can find that it was episode 29 and that was part of our uh, april 2017 series that happened on april 14th if you want to hear the episode where we talked with dave bossert about oswald the lucky rabbit 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to grab, I think, like three, because actually I'm going, I'm going to direct you to the archives of our Disneyland show. The um, first, if you want to find out about these, I have a series that actually we're probably going to finish up on on connecting with Walt, and that is the sixty years of Disneyland series that I started um, when Disneyland was fifty nine years old, and um, and so, so these questions were actually addressed in that series. Um, uh, Allison. Uh, says which rides or attractions were also showcased in the world's fairs you know i know carousel of progress but are there others and um so of course it's it's a small world great moments with mr lincoln um the oh gosh uh, the primeval world yeah the ford magic skyland railroad Mm -hmm. so um so there so there were a number of um shows that were brought over or like the Omnimovers were based yeah. on technology, you know, from um, from the World's Fair. And let's see, what else was brought over from there? Mm, that was, those are the big ones. So um, anyway, and uh, yeah, so that that's, that's pretty much it. And for that one, uh, another one is... Uh, Michael Micker Mickerdays said that there's an interesting story on Fantastic that I'm sure would be a hit. It would be, and I also we probably will someday do a full episode on Fantastic, but I do talk about it in the Six Years of Disneyland um, series. Also, what was the real reason for the opening delay at the Haunted Mansion Disneyland? Again, that is covered in there. A lot of it was. Um, they couldn't agree on the concept for the Haunted Mansion. It was going to be a walkthrough. Then the World's Fair came along and interrupted development of that attraction and of Pirates of the Caribbean. Walt passed away. Uh, so there was a lot going on there that delayed the Haunted Mansion. You know, new technology. Um, so all kinds of things happened with that one. Yeah. So. So you can um, learn a lot more about that in the Six Years of Disneyland series. Absolutely. So, and, you know, like you said, you've gone over a lot, hit stuff like Fantasmic. We're going to have lots of episodes in the future on this. I definitely know that I want to see a, a Fantasmic one at some point. So I know, I, I know the basics of it, that entertainment wanted to create the show, and, and they did, and... Gosh, I wish it wouldn't have had to change, but that's a whole <laughs> other topic for a whole another day. But, uh, you know, we, uh, again, just so many episode suggestions from you guys uh, going over the history of MGM Studios, uh, it, which that will obviously come sometime after we're done talking about Epcot, which is what's happening there. Uh, talking about Disney America, of course, one day we're going to have to do that because. We, we've talked about some of the other concepts that never quite made it off the ground before the Florida project ended up happening. So it, Disney America, there's there's a lot of great information out there on that that we will be happy to share uh, mm-hmm. one day in the future. And yeah, there's uh, so much more, uh, especially with Epcot that we have coming up, talking about World Showcase. And, you know, one of the big ones that, it just 
in terms of things that sometimes have happened that would fall in the Disney Neverland series that we've done uh, before a couple times now, something that we'll definitely have to hit. Uh, but uh, Adam wants to hear us talk about the Walt Disney World and attractions that concepts were never built. Uh, and Jason wants to hear about more pavilions that Epcot may have placed in the World Showcase. And uh, I, I know we're definitely going to get on theirs, and mm-hmm. especially the Epcot one. So just because we may see more new ones in the future here, maybe we... And you'll, and you'll be surprised by what was originally planned for Epcot Center and World Showcase. Yeah. That never got built. Are you going to share the, the two big ones that never got built? Well, there's more than two. <laughs> well, the, the ones in that that were in that brochure, at least I know that one because so, it wasn't well, that Spain for sure. That was in the one brochure that said it was like coming in a few years, and it well, never and then made. there was Africa. Hey, we um, we have Africa there. Well, you don't have the Africa they were going to build. Well, we have a good one. Where else do you go to bang the bongos? <laughs> so, so, but that animal kingdom came along. Yeah, uh, you know Israel. Oh yeah, was, yeah, was one of them, but they had a little problem because of another pavilion that was going to be built. Um, Iran was going to be built, and then of course the Shah was overthrown right as the the final approval was going to be made for that pavilion. Um, so, um, yeah, there, there have been a number of them. Yeah. So, and yeah. who knows, there could be more added to the Disney Neverland yeah. that we start to discover here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and that, so Disney Neverland is a series that we have been running. Uh, as Craig uh, alluded to, we are going to be focusing on Epcot Center in 2018 on Connecting with Walt. Another, we, we had a lot of, we had a number of questions from folks about um, shows about Disney legends, um, Imagineers and Imagineering and the technology. And uh, we actually do have a series that's running on both the Disneyland show and and on Connecting with Walt, where we do talk about Disney legends. We've interviewed some of them. And so we will continue that series on Connecting with Walt. And I think you'll be excited about some of the people we've been talking to. So we're going to be on the show. And a few returnees from past. I mean, Bob Gurr is just, he just gives me episode ideas yeah. <laughs> to talk about because he's such a big fan of the show. So anyway, so I think, I th- you know, we have a lot more questions, but I think we are going to save those for a future episode. Yeah. Or two or three or four Q and A episodes in 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 twenty eighteen. Yeah, you'll all so understand th- why soon. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, and thank you everybody for uh, for taking the time to submit these questions and to submit ideas for um, segments and episodes. So if we did not cover your questions or suggestions in this episode, like I said, we will have more question and answer episodes in the future and as Craig mentioned at the beginning of the show um, we will let you know when we're ready to receive more questions so okay all right we have we are introducing in 2018 a new uh, segment within 
each episode. And that's called This Week in Disney History. And it's featuring important events of the Walt Disney Studio and the Disney theme parks. And the goal of this segment is not only to share historic milestones, but to stir memories and inspire conversations. So hopefully if you're listening with your family, um, you know, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, you might be able to share you know, some memories of some of these events, you know, with the younger members of your family. And I have not shared these with Craig. No, you haven't. So so we can have maybe going down memory uh, lane here with these. Now, I I hope you're all... So we're covering the week of January 1st through 7th. I hope... Craig, are you a fan of the Tournament of Roses Parade? I am to a point. Uh, I... So, <laughs> a bit strange growing up. Uh, one of the things is my my college football team I do follow is Ohio State, and they've been fortunate to go to the Rose Bowl many times. And mm-hmm. uh, my dad also had some weird obsession at some point growing up with uh, the University of Southern California Trojans, and mm-hmm. so that just all keeps working back into Pasadena and. And the Rose Bowl, and like both him and my mom are just huge fans of the parade. It's so much that when I took my trip in twenty, I think that was twenty sixteen. Now to California with my dad, like we that was one of the things he had to do was we had to stay a night in Pasadena. We had to go to the Rose Bowl Stadium, and we had to go and walk on the parade route for for oh, the Tournament wow. of Roses. So yeah, I. It's definitely a part of me, whether good or bad. That's still still haven't got my feelings on it quite yet. I'll get them maybe by the time I'm 40. But uh, it is a part of me. I'll say that much. See, uh, since gardening is is one of my hobbies and growing up in California, of course, the Rose Parade's a must see. Yeah. I watch all the pre-shows on how they designed them and and how they built the floats and you know everything i love it yeah, i love I, it all i do watch so, it every single year yeah uh-huh. so so we're very heavy this first week of january on tournament of roses and yeah. disney history so but starting january 1st in 1888 we're going to start out with a wedding anniversary uh elias disney and flora call are married in kismet florida and they settle in nearby Akron, which is a town in Eastern Lake County. And Craig, have you ever traveled to Akron? I haven't, but I mean, I've gone through Lake County plenty of times. Okay, so well, you, you, you probably um, haven't because it's no longer there. There you go. <laughs> um, it, it no longer exists. It is now a ghost town. Um, Akron, though, was located 40 miles due north of Walt Disney World. Why am I calling these two out? Of course, these are the parents of Walt and Roy Disney. So, um, anyway, and, and they're, they're brothers and sister. Um, 1938, the Tournament of Roses Parade takes place in Pasadena, California. The parade's theme is Playland Fantasies, commemorating the December 21st, 1937 premiere of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is a parade float featuring Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. (laughs) Um, Marjorie Belcher, who was filmed as the live-action model for the character Snow White, portrays Snow White on the float. The costume dwarfs on the float are the same actors who portrayed the dwarfs at the film's Hollywood debut just a couple weeks earlier. And boy, are there stories about that. 
which I think Jim Corcus once shared with us. Um, this is the first time the Walt Disney Studio participated in the annual parade. In 1943, you'll like this, Craig. Um, Disney's anti-Nazi propaganda piece, De Fuhrer's Face, yeah. also titled Donald Duck in Nutsyland, is released. Um, and if you don't know what this is, Donald Duck has a nightmare that he is living a hard life in Nazi Germany as a musician, munitions worker. He awakens to find himself in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty and is glad to be a U.S. citizen. This is directed by Jack Kinney, and it will win the 1943 Academy Award for Animated Short Film. It's awesome. It's, I, I love everything they did with World War Two, though. So. Yes, yeah, that's one of the better um, tins. Yeah, oh, <laughs> they, uh, it blends you know, my Disney two loves. Disney, series. yeah, no, it, it just blends my two loves: Disney and World War Two. Yeah. So, <laughs> in, in nineteen fifty-five, McCall's Magazine, and, and for our younger listeners, think uh, a magazine was basically a website on paper. <laughs> um, and, and then, so McCall's features an article about the soon-to-be-open Disneyland. On um, the article, reports this July, Walt Disney will realize a lifelong dream when the fabulous Wonderland he is raising out of the dust of a 160-acre tract in the heart of California's orange-growing country opens to the public. And the 66th annual Tournament of Roses Parade kicks off in California, debuting is Walt Disney Studios' first Disneyland theme float with 7,000 pink roses. The Disneyland float features Disney characters and attractions from the not-yet-opened Anaheim Park. Appearing in the parade on this rainy day is the Firehouse 5 Plus 2, a Disneyland jazz band made up of Disney Studio employees, including Ward Kimball, Frank Thomas, and Harper Goff. Um, in 1959, the Fantasyland Utopia, sponsored by Richfield Oil Company, opens in Disneyland. Excellent. So, 1966, Walt Disney serves as Grand Marshal of the Tournament of Roses Parade. Walt and Mickey Mouse ride together in a white Chrysler Imperial. Sitting curbside with his parents watching, watching the parade is a young John Lasseter. And, of course, for many people, this would be the last time they um, see Walt Disney in public. He mm-hmm. would have passed away before the end of the year. In 1978, Disney's Main Street Electrical Parade makes a rare appearance outside of a theme park when it rolls through the halftime show of the annual Orange Bowl college football game in Miami, Florida. Really? I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 19... It's only made a couple of appearances outside of um, a theme park. In 1980, Disneyland Park presents a special 25th anniversary pre-parade show as part of the 92nd Pasadena Tournament of Roses Parade. Featured is the Firehouse 5 Plus 2, the Dixieland Jazz Band now led by Ward Kimball. The group has come out of retirement to make one last appearance. And as I mentioned a moment ago, they had performed 33 years earlier as the first jazz band ever to be in the parade. Uh, Here you go, Craig. 1996, Delta Airlines discontinues its sponsorship of Walt Disney World's Delta Dream Flight attraction in the Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland. And the world has never been the same since. Yes. 1997, 
at Epcot, two very popular musical groups debut. The Celtic rock band Off Kilter performs on a stage in between the United Kingdom and Canada pavilions. Uh, Quartet, the British Invasion, plays 1960s British songs in the garden area behind the United Kingdom pavilion. Two of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, bands. and... Uh... I mean, off kilter, still doing their thing, and I think the British Invasion still does play every now and then. They're not; they don't play as often as off kilter does. They no. they play here and there, but yeah, and just haven't been able to get good replacements for either. So. No, no. In two thousand, Walt Disney's nephew Roy E. Disney serves as Grand Marshal of the Tournament of Roses Parade, and on the same day, Disney's Fantasia two thousand is released to IMAX theaters. That was Roy Disney's like baby yeah. that he got into the theaters. Two thousand and four, hundred fifteenth Tournament of Roses Parade, the Disneyland Resort presents a parade float inspired by the park's new attraction, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Standing at nearly 100 feet, a sudden drop in pitch is the tallest float in Rose Parade history. Oh. And 2005, Mickey Mouse serves as the Grand Marshal for the 116th Tournament of Roses Parade in celebration of Disneyland's 50th anniversary. And in 2007, okay, here we go. At Epcot, the Wonders of Life Pavilion closes permanently. First opening in October 1989 in the Future World section of Epcot Center, the pavilion had been sponsored by Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, MetLife. In January 2005, Wonders of Life became a seasonal attraction only when the park approached capacity crowds. The pavilion featured Body Wars, Cranium Command, The Making of Me, and Goofy About Health. The pavilion is now used for seasonal special events. I miss that pavilion. Yeah, I do too. So it's it's a shame, but I. You think yeah. with Inside Out they could somehow become coming into the parks? They could somehow resurrect. That yeah, and I, I if it wasn't going to completely change when Future World changes, I feel like that would have been uh, just a, a brilliant tie-in. But uh, it's just kind of like with all of Epcot th- their future is just so gray right now we know it's going to change we just don't know how significant it truly is going to be someone out there does yeah. Uh, yeah. but not me I'll say yeah. that up front I have no idea yeah, 2013, this um, this year in the Tournament of Roses Parade, the Disneyland Resort participates with the float Destination Cars Land of course we all know why Yes. <laughs> 2016, 127th Annual Tournament of Roses Parade. The float from the Walt Disney Company is the longest in the parade's history. The float consists of three parts. A frozen castle leads the way, with the middle featuring Disneyland's Sleeping Beauty Castle, decorated to celebrate the resort's 60th anniversary diamond celebration. The last section features Star Wars, with a Millennium Falcon appearing to hover above the float. 
So, January 2nd, 1938. I have actually heard a recording of this. Um, the, Mad- the Mickey Mouse Theater of the Air debuts Coast to Coast on the NBC radio network, sponsored by Pepsodent Toothpaste. The series stars Walt Disney as the voice of Mickey Mouse, Thelma Boardman as Minnie, Stuart Buchanan as Goofy, and Clarence Nash as Donald Duck. With the help of the Magic Mirror from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Mickey and his friends are transported back through time to meet Robin Hood. After a few weeks, the studio will be overwhelmed with requests for tickets to the live radio broadcasts. Originally scheduled for 13 programs, the series was extended to 20. And this is when Walt started to realize they could do bigger things than just films. That's pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah. And on the same date, conductor Leopold Stokowski arrives in Los Angeles for a recording session for Disney's The Sorcerer's Apprentice. In 1977, at Disneyland's Frontierland, the mine train through nature's Wonderland attraction closes. I I miss that attraction. Um, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad will soon rise to replace the old mine Mm -hmm. train. I I think I remember this, but I think I may have only seen it once. 1984, the Astuter Computer Review, a show in Epcot Center's Communicore East, closes. This attraction took place on a second-floor terrace theater that overlooked a large room housing some of the computers used to operate the park. It was hosted by a projected host who sang and danced his way across computer banks in the foreground of the room in an attempt to explain the role of computers at Walt Disney World. The Astuter Computer Review will be the first attraction to close at Epcot Center, and it will be replaced in February by backstage magic. Have you give any knowledge of this? I have seen clips and photos of it before, but mm-hmm. I I was born in eighty seven, so this is yeah. before me, but I have seen stuff from some of the events I've attended about Epcot, mm-hmm. so it's not completely foreign to me, but I also don't have any memories of it. Yeah, I I saw this like once and I don't have strong memories of it. I remember it was impressive yeah, with right. the, the projection and all that. Um, 1996, World of Motion closes at Epcot. An opening day attraction. Visitors traveled on Omnimover vehicles through humorous transportation-themed scenes. This was the only attraction designed by Ward Kimball, and his humor was evident throughout this attraction. Um, Test Track will eventually zoom through this location. Just a couple of years later. After yeah. some delays. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I loved World of Motion. Yeah. So did I. It's It, it was one of the greats. And just, uh, you know, <clears throat> Epcot changed. So. Yeah. It, it was just, it was so funny. And it was one of those attractions you noticed something new every time you went through it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you learned something from it, too. Yeah. And I'll be honest, it you know what test track may have been thrilling but, but there was something about actually being able to reach families and and have a fun story that is appropriate for everyone uh it, to me that just spoke such a stronger message than here's this fake car plant where we test 
cars and we're going to send you out at 65 miles an hour and yeah. that's about it and you know that's that's saying a lot considering i worked at test track and <laughs> that ride is a huge part of my life but even you know even i can step back and admit that that is not a suitable replacement for world of motion yeah i agree i agree in 2001, the Disneyland Resort opens the doors to the Grand Californian Hotel by offering a few hundred guests a preview of the high-end rooms and service. The Walt Disney Company hopes will transform the updated Anaheim vacation spot into a global vacation destination. The hotel is the first in the United States to be located inside a Disney theme park. The hotel will celebrate its official grand opening in February. Huh. A beautiful hotel. Absolutely. Just magnificent. I'm looking forward to seeing the new rooms. I've yeah, not seen the refurbished rooms. Um, 2005. Oh, I just, I, I thought of Pete when I saw this. Pete Werner, who is, um, you know, of course, our, our owner here and our boss. Um, All Walt Disney World admission media begins requiring ticket tag finger scans. <laughs> I remember Pete when this happened he 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 was not a fan (laughs) of this (laughs) Um, anyway um 2006 in observance with the tournament of roses never on sunday tradition the 117th rose parade in pasadena um california takes place on a monday uh the walt disney company enters a float featuring recreations of all five castles from each of its theme parks at the time. Um, 2017, the Twilight Tower of Terror attractions at Disney California Adventure has its final day of operation in preparation for a complete retheming. It will reopen later in the year as Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, featuring characters from that Marvel movie series. Um, and have you ridden that? Oh, yeah, many times now. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I've, ri- I've ridden it once. And I enjoyed it uh, as yeah. best I could. I, um. I mean, I've said it out there, and I still agree with it. I think Guardians is a better placement there than your Tower of Terror was. But mm-hmm. uh, our Tower of Terror is still better than Guardians. So <laughs> I, I like your Tower of Terror, yeah. yes. I, I thought it was superior to ours. Um, January 3rd, 1965, Disneyland opens, observes its 10th anniversary with a Tencennial Parade, which is a cute little parade. That evening, Walt Disney introduces his television audience to a host of coming attractions to Disneyland, um, the Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color television series. He is joined in this episode by Julie Rimes, or Reams, the first Disneyland ambassador, whom he refers to as Miss Disney. Disneyland. This is a classic, yeah. classic episode. Uh, you, first of all, <laughs> Marty Sklar's talked about this. He, uh, there was a whole script. There were cue cards everywhere. Every, they, they, they scheduled rehearsals. Walt didn't show up for any of them, and then Walt ad-libbed his way through the whole thing and you can see it really watch this show julie has no idea how to respond to walt nobody has any idea how to respond to walt and um because walt is just winging it so um, the whole way it is the most entertaining show but you get to see greats you get to see claude Coates, harriet burns um you know um 
uh, uh, Roly Crump. I mean, there are so many Imagineers in there. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, and that's on YouTube. I yeah, mean, it's you it's been that. released on some of the treasures of the Disney Vault, mm-hmm. other places. It's very readily available to yeah. watch. I remember when we watched that with Marty Scalar, and then he said, you just try writing for that man. (laughs) Anyway, in 1994, at Epcot, the Kitchen Cabaret Review, better known as simply Kitchen Cabaret, an audio-animatronics theatrical presentation about nutrition, closes. An original opening day attraction in the Land Pavilion, the 13-minute musical show, was hosted by Bonnie Appetit. The space will later host the audio-animatronic show Food Rocks before closing to make room for Soren. So, again, I l- really enjoyed both those. Yeah, shows. I was I was more Food Rocks than Kitchen Cabaret, but mm-hmm. that's when I was born. So. Yeah, yeah, both are good. <laughs> both are good. And again, you know, Epcot Center at its finest. Yep. There. 2016, the popular... Uh, at Epcot, the popular Soren attraction takes guests... All around California for the last time. It will reopen later in the year with the new film Soaring Around the World. So, January 4th, 1937, the first cells of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs are handed off to the Hyperion Studios Ink and Paint Department. Walt wants the film completed in time for a Christmas season release. That is amazing. Yeah. Under yeah. a year. That. 1989, the Magic Kingdom attraction at Walt Disney World, If You Could Fly, closes. It will reopen in June as Delta Dream Flight. In 1996, Michael Eisner speaks to a group of Disney shareholders in New York. During his presentation, he talks about the company's plans for Disney's Animal Kingdom, Walt Disney World's 25th anniversary, the Florida Community of Celebration, Disney Cruise Lines, and the Capital City ABC merger. The shareholders officially approved the agreement to merge Disney and Capital Cities ABC. As a result of this $19 billion merger, the Walt Disney Company acquires all or part ownership of more than two dozen television channels, including the History Channel, ESPN and A&E, and Lifetime, 21 radio stations, and more than 100 various publications. And the company was never the same. (laughs) 2003, Walt Disney World's Polynesian Review, a tropical-themed dinner show performed at the Polynesian Resort, had its last performance. The Spirit of Aloha dinner show will premiere in February. (laughs) I've never seen Spirit of Aloha. I only saw the Polynesian Review. Keep it that way. Oh, okay. (laughs) You're better off. (laughs) I like the Polynesian Review. Uh, Reminded me of the Tahitian Terrace. Yeah, this won't. It's not good. 2010, the Disneyland Resort enters an ambitious construction phase when Honey, I Shrunk the Audience closes so that the Tomorrowland Theater can be prepared for the February encore showing of Captain EO. The process of draining the rivers of America begins to start a four-month rehabilitation and upgrade project. The six million gallons of river water will go to a recycling facility instead of being dumped into the ocean, as was um, the previous process. After the river is drained, the original 1955 track for the Mark Twain and the sailing ship Columbia will be replaced with a new 2,500-foot track. 
Across the Esplanade at Disney's California Adventure, the walls go up in the Hollywood Pictures backlot area as the first phase for the construction of the Red Trolley Car attraction begins. This project is part of a major $1 billion renovation, and when completed in 2012, the trolleys will carry guests from the park's entrance around to the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. 2011, at approximately 6.30 a.m., Disney's newest cruise ship, the Disney Dream, arrives at Port Canaveral, Florida for the first time. Four years in the making, the 130,000-ton ship can carry 4,000 passengers. Port Canaveral made $32 million in improvements to its facilities to accommodate the Disney Dream, which will set sail on its maiden voyage later in the month. And in 2014, the celebrated Dreams Come True Parade rolls through the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World for its final run. Is that a parade you miss, Craig? No. (laughs) But I won't beat around the bush on that. (laughs) Disney's Um, made some great parades, and they've made some ones that stayed way too long. That one did stay a very long time. And and part of it was was at Disneyland for originally and then it got moved over i did not know so, that um yeah um january 5th nothing really noteworthy so i'm moving on to january 6th <laughs> <laughs> um 1938 a story meeting for sequence one of pinocchio is held in disney's projection room number four among those in attendance for the three-hour session are walt disney ben sharpstein otto englander bill cattrell dick humor joe grant ted sears hamilton lusk Frank Thomas and Fred Moore, some of the greats in these early years of the studio. 1985, did you know there was a Hallmark card shop on Disneyland's Main Street? No, I didn't. Right? No. Yeah, there was, and it closed <laughs> in oh, 1985. Wonderful. It will reopen in March as Disney Clothiers Limited. So it gives you an idea where it was. Okay, well, so you go from being able to buy cards to more Disney clothes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Good in 1997, at Disneyland's New Orleans Square, the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction closes for its 30th anniversary renovation. The attraction will reopen and be rededicated on March 7th. 2008. Today is the last day for the M- Disney MGM Studios at Walt Disney World. The next day, the park will be known as Disney's Hollywood Studios. Also being retired on this date is Block Party Bash, a hybrid stage show and parade at Disney's California Adventure since 2005. It will find a new home at Disney's Hollywood Studios, replacing the Disney Stars and Motor Cars Parade. (laughs) Yeah, you should have just kept it. (laughs) I was not a fan of that. No, neither. Neither was I. At all. So, um, in January 7th, 1942, uh, T.W. Smith Jr., the owner of the Sun Rubber Company, and his designer, Dietrich Rempel, introduce a protective Mickey Mouse gas mask for children. It has been one month since the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, and fears of saboteurs and submarine attacks on the United States are high. The government makes it a priority to protect the civilian population, especially children, from gas attacks. The design of the Mickey Mouse gas mask is presented to Major General William N. Porter, Chief of the Chemical Warfare Service, for his review and approval. Have you ever seen 
Have you seen photos of this mask? I'm looking it up right now because I haven't. <laughs> it is disturbing. Oh, wow. Um, but it shows you just what a heightened state you know we were in at the time. Oh, uh, gosh. I would love to be able to get my hands on one of those. Yeah. They were going, if, if, if these were needed and, and worked successfully, they were going to introduce more cartoon character gas masks. Ah, oh, that's, that's such a shame. So, it is. Only a thousand. But they were they were so. introduced they were introduced in England, though. Oh, okay. So because they were under threat of attack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, in 1943, The Spirit of 43, an animated World War II propaganda film created by Walt Disney Studios, is released to the U.S. Treasury Department. Starring Donald Duck, the film encourages patriotic Americans to file and pay their income taxes faithfully every three months in order to help the war effort. Because <laughs> we didn't pay income taxes up until that yeah. point. Um, 1944, Disney's short, I did not remember this short, The Pelican and the Snipe, which was originally intended to be included in the feature The Three Caballeros, is released. The short, narrated by Sterling Holloway, we know him best as Winnie the Pooh, tells the story of how Monty, a pelican who flies in his sleep, has to rescue his friend Vidi, a snipe, from a wartime bombing raid. And who wants popcorn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 1976, the Main Street Barbershop Quartet, the Dapper Dans, appear on the TV variety series Tony Orlando and Dawn. Um, and of course, you may not know Tony Orlando and Dawn, but you probably know Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree, which was their song. 1992, Voyage of the Little Mermaid, a multimedia presentation, premieres at the Disney MGM Studios, replacing Here Come the Muppets. 2008, Disney MGM Studios is now Disney Hollywood Studios. 2012, one of my favorite places, the Dolly Holiday Bakery Cafe officially opens its doors on Disneyland's Main Street, USA. And another favorite event of mine in 2015, the deconstruction of the Sorcerer's Hat begins at Disney's Hollywood Studios, an icon of the Florida park since 2001 when it debuted as part of the 100 Years of Magic celebration. It was used primarily as a venue for pin trading and sales, as well as the backdrop to many special events and shows. The Sorcerer's Hat will be completely removed by February 25th and talk about something that really overstayed. Oh yeah. I, I remember welcome. being in there though for the final day. I did a I did a, a park bench video of it. Just kind of stood there and watched it on the last day for mm-hmm. a couple minutes and then I said bye. And never <laughs> looked back. <laughs> yeah. Well, we hope that this helped um this sparked some um good memories for you or yeah. maybe a few bad ones too. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Anyway, so um, so join us next week when we explore the life and career of Ivan Earle, the artist um, Walt Disney selected to influence the style and design of Sleeping Beauty, and how Ivan Earle continues to influence Disney animation today. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners see and hear you on the Dis Unplugged network of shows? Of course, you can find me on the Disney World show on Tuesdays, the Universal show on Thursdays and various other places here, there, and everywhere in between. And of course, you can always uh, get at me on Twitter at Teleclaster. So, what about you, Michael? 
Well, you can find me most Sunday nights on the Diz Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition, with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Malata-Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all, and all Southern California theme parks, the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. You can listen to us live on Mixler, Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time or Disneyland Time, and you can download our two weekly shows from iTunes on Monday. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland. Check out our archives for my Disney history episodes at www.disneyunplugged.com and look look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling, and Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. So thank you for making us a part of your day, and remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs> <laughs>